Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, the Meeks family murders. But first, your true crime headlines. Protests have erupted in Wisconsin after police shot a black man multiple times in the back in front of his children. The shooting occurred around 5 p.m. on Sunday when police officers responded to calls of a domestic incident. A 911 dispatcher reported that a complainant said that the man, 29-year-old Jacob Blake, wasn't supposed to be there and that he had taken the complainant's keys and refused to give them back. Witnesses said that Blake was attempting to break up a fight between two women. A video shot by a witness and posted on social media shows Blake walking away from officers who are pointing their weapons at him. He approaches an SUV, walks around the front, and opens the driver's side door when an officer grabs his shirt and subsequently fires at least seven shots into his back. Blake's three sons were in the vehicle at the time. Officers provided medical aid to Blake, who was then transported to a hospital in Milwaukee, the state's Department of Justice said. The video spread on social media late on Sunday, sparking protests that prompted the city to declare an emergency curfew. The mayor confirmed that the National Guard has been called to the city. Governor Tony Evers said in a statement that troops will be focused on supporting the needs of local first responders and law enforcement to protect critical infrastructure and cultural institutions. Governor Evers also condemned the shooting, saying, quote, while we do not have all of the details yet, what we know for certain is that he is not the first black man or person to have been shot or injured or mercilessly killed at the hands of individuals in law enforcement in our state or our country. The Kenosha Police Union president said in a written statement, quote, anytime deadly force is used, our hearts go out to those affected by it. We assure you an independent investigation is being conducted. As always, the video currently circulating does not capture all of the intricacies of a highly dynamic incident. We ask that you withhold from passing judgment until all the facts are known. Blake fortunately survived the shooting, though he is in serious condition in a Milwaukee hospital. The Wisconsin Department of Justice is investigating the shooting, and two of the officers involved have been placed on administrative leave. Authorities in Middleton, Ohio say that a man has been charged with aggravated murder in the stabbing death of a mother whose body was found after a house fire earlier this month. After firefighters recovered the body of 38-year-old Jamaica Calhoun, the Butler County Coroner's Office said that she died of stab wounds and classified the case as a homicide. And Middletown police arrested 41-year-old Anson Pride. Police Chief David Burke said that the victim and her young daughter arrived home on August 14th to find Pride in their home. Police allege that Pride, who was recently released from prison, had been breaking into homes in the area. Authorities believe that an altercation ensued and the defendant then stabbed the victim and started the fire. Her daughter fled and was uninjured. Anson Pride is charged with murder, 
felonious assault, aggravated arson and burglary, and evidence tampering. A New Jersey woman has been sentenced to five years in prison in the death of a pedestrian that prosecutors said occurred as the driver was texting. Last fall, 51-year-old Alexandra Mansonette was convicted of vehicular homicide in the September 2016 death of 39-year-old Yuen Wang. Prosecutors said Mansonette rear-ended another car that struck the victim as she was crossing the street. Wang, who was on a break from her job at the nearby International Flavors and Fragrances plant, died five days later. Prosecutors argued that Mansonette was distracted by a text about dinner plans in New York City from her former sister-in-law that said, Cuban-American-Mexican, pick one. Mansonette said that she read the message before leaving. She said that she was looking down to turn on her rear defogger before striking the car. Prosecutors questioned why the text was unanswered, although the letters M and E had been typed, and Mansonette said that she didn't remember having typed them. On Friday, Mansonette apologized to Wang's family, saying, quote, She didn't deserve to die so early, and I stand here knowing that there's absolutely nothing I can do that can change that. My hope is that one day you will be able to find peace. Trial attorney Stephen Altman said that his client has, quote, dedicated her life to improving the world around her, citing her work at a nonprofit agency that offers social services and runs a food pantry and health centers for the homeless. He asked, quote, should her life be defined within the 60 seconds of this tragedy? Defense attorney Raymond Brown indicated that Mansonette plans to appeal, but a judge Friday denied a request to allow her to remain free pending that appeal. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, the Meeks murders. But first, a quick break. I used to eat almost every meal out on the go. But these days, I'm eating in more than ever. I'm no chef, but now I can eat wholesome, high-quality meals at home that are easy for even me to prepare with Green Chef. Green Chef makes cooking easy with dinner options that work around my lifestyle, not the other way around. Recipes are quick and easy with step-by-step -step instructions, chef tips, and even photos to guide you along. Ingredients come pre-measured, perfectly portioned, and mostly prepped. It couldn't be simpler. Green Chef is a USDA-certified organic company that uses seasonally sourced ingredients that you can trust, sourced for peak freshness. Their expert chefs design flavorful recipes for your lifestyle that go way beyond ordinary substitutions. Green Chef meals contain a variety of organic ingredients, and their plans include paleo, plant-powered, keto, and balanced living. Plus, Green Chef is the most sustainable meal kit, offsetting 100% of its direct carbon emissions and plastic packaging in every box. So it's not just good for your body, it's good for everybody. Let Green Chef take care of the meal planning. 
go to greenchef.com slash MurderMinute80 and use code MurderMinute80 to get $80 off your first month, plus free shipping on your first box. That's greenchef.com slash MurderMinute80, code MurderMinute80 to redeem and for more details. I would do anything for my cat. Her health and well-being are my top priority. That's why I want to feed her food that I can actually recognize. Nutritious food backed by science. That's why I feed her Nom Nom. Nom Nom is a pet health company that makes fresh restaurant quality food for cats and dogs. Every meal is prepared just days before it ships out, arrives at my door fresh, and is perfectly portioned for my cat's dietary needs. Nom Nom has six PhDs on staff to actively study pet health from nose to tail to better understand the impact of nutrition on your pet's well-being. Just tell Nom Nom a little bit about your pet and they'll create a meal plan based on your pet's age, breed, weight, and health needs. Not a calorie more, not a morsel less. Their board-certified veterinary nutritionist is dedicated to researching and creating each recipe and their ingredients are 100% sourced in the U.S. Unlike other fresh pet food, I can actually recognize the ingredients in Nom Nom recipes. You can visibly see the peas, carrots, protein, potatoes, and more. Plus, Nom Nom goes beyond the bowl with supplements, gut screenings, and other resources to maintain and improve your pet's health. Switch to the fresh pet food that's backed by science. Try Nom Nom today and you'll get 50% off a two-week trial. Go to trynom.com slash murderminute. That's T-R-Y-N-O-M dot com slash murderminute for 50% off a two-week trial. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? A global pandemic, maybe. It's time to get BetterHelp. BetterHelp is not a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist so that you can start communicating in under 48 hours. BetterHelp has a broad range of expertise available, and the service is available for clients worldwide. Just log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so that you don't ever have to sit in a waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change your counselor if you need to. Plus, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Just visit their website and read the testimonials posted daily, like this one, written by a BetterHelp user after counseling for two months with Teresa Lee. 
Teresa is extremely attentive and always gives me a productive way to view what troubles me. I've been consistently empowered after our sessions, and I am able to more effectively manage my depression and anxiety. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MurderMinute, that's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P, and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are now recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Murder Minute listeners get 10% off their first month when they visit betterhelp.com slash murderminute. That's betterhelp.com slash murderminute. Social distancing can get pretty lonely. That's why now more than ever, I need my Best Fiends. Best Fiends is the app that engages my brain with challenging but fun puzzle games. The game is simple. The good guys are the bugs, and the bad guys are the slugs. Complete the puzzles to defeat the slugs as you travel through the world of Minutia, collecting keys and unlocking new fiends along the way. Like Brittle the Housefly, Edward the Mosquito, Gordon the Scorpion, and my best fiend, Pop the Axolotl. One of the things I love about true crime is that the more you dig into the story, the more layers you uncover. And that's what's great about Best Fiends, too. The more I play, the more fun it gets. And with new monthly updates, themed challenges, and holiday puzzles, the adventure never gets old. This is my pandemic must-play. So the next time you need a break from the news cycle, download Best Fiends free. Best Fiends has thousands of levels already. It's hours of fun at your fingertips and can even be played offline. With over 100 million downloads and tons of five-star reviews, Best Fiends is a must-have. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Welcome back to Murder Minute. In the early morning hours of May 11, 1894, in Lynn County, Missouri, Mrs. John Carter heard a knock at her door. She opened it to find a six-year-old girl, covered in dirt and blood. Her clothes were torn, and she had a deep gash on her forehead. The child struggled to speak. Barely coherent, she told Mrs. Carter that her name was Nellie Meeks, and that her mama and papa and younger sisters had been murdered the night before and were buried in the straw stacks in the field. Little Nellie had managed to escape because the killers thought that she was dead. With no men at home, Mrs. Carter decided to send her nine-year-old son, Jimmy, to investigate while she tended to the little girl. 
but Jimmy soon returned, saying that he couldn't find any bodies. Nellie said that she could find them, and led the boy back out into the neighboring cornfield. There, half buried under an old haystack, were the bodies of Nellie's father, 33-year-old Gus Meeks, her mother, 30-year-old Delora, her four-year-old sister Hattie, and her 18-month-old sister Mary. Gus, Delora, and Hattie had been shot. Mary had been beaten to death with a rock, the same rock that put the gash in Nellie's forehead. Tragically, Mrs. Meeks had been pregnant and miscarried at the time of her death. The fetus was also in the grave. Little Nellie Meeks was the only one left. When Nellie and Jimmy returned to the house, Mrs. Carter sent Jimmy back out again to notify the neighbors of the murder and send for help. When Jimmy went out, the first person he found was George Taylor, working in the cornfield, and told him about the bodies under one of his haystacks. George Taylor took Jimmy to his house and told him to wait while he hitched his horses and they would go and take a look. Jimmy waited and waited, but George Taylor never returned. He rode to town and alerted his brother William Taylor, and the two men fled. While little Nellie was being examined by a doctor, she explained as much as she could remember about what happened to her family the night before. When we were going up the hill, Nellie said, the man without whiskers said his feet were cold and got out and walked along the side of the wagon and shot Papa, and Papa jumped out and started to run. Then Mama screamed and started to jump when they shot Mama and Sister. Then they hit me in the head, and I went to sleep. The next thing Nellie could remember was waking up when the men tossed her out of the wagon. As she regained consciousness, she heard the men trying to set the haystack on fire. When the man put me in the straw, the one with the whiskers kicked me on the back and said, they're all dead now, the damn villain sons of bitches. The doctor confirmed Nellie's account by the presence of a bruise on her back. They covered me up and I could not breathe good, the brave little girl said. I heard them say it would not burn as it would not catch. They were George and William Taylor. The brothers were among the most wealthy and prominent citizens in northeastern Missouri. William, the elder of the two, was a graduate of the Missouri University School of Law, had served in the Missouri General Assembly, and worked for the People's Exchange Bank in Browning. But in recent years, it became clear 
that the Taylors had not acquired their wealth honestly. Among their recent crimes were forgery and larceny for writing false bag drafts. They were also indicted for arson and stealing cattle. Nellie's father, Gus Meeks, was a tenant farmer on land owned by the Taylors and had been implicated in one of their cattle rustling cases. Meeks pleaded guilty and was jailed. But in the weeks before the murder, Gus Meeks was pardoned by the governor after he agreed to testify against the Taylor brothers. The Taylors needed Gus Meeks out of the way. They offered him $1,000, equivalent to roughly $30,000 today, to get out of town and avoid testifying. Meeks agreed. But when they came in the wagon to pick him up on the night of May 10, 1894, Mrs. Meeks insisted that the whole family go along with him. Mrs. Meeks knew that her husband was in danger and didn't trust the Taylors, but she didn't believe that the brothers would be capable of murdering an entire family. After their discovery under the haystack on the Taylor farm, the bodies remained where they were found all day until about five o'clock, waiting for the coroner to arrive. Large pools of blood were on the grass and the leaves at the side of the road where the bodies had fallen. A pistol was found with three chambers empty, and the bloody rock, which put the gash in Nellie's head and killed her little sister. The bodies were put in what one newspaper described as rude coffins for transport. Be it said to the eternal disgrace of Lynn County, the reporter wrote in May of 1894, that women's and children's bodies were placed in those unlined boxes in all that dirt, blood, and old clothes that they had lain in all day, and unwashed, and with only furniture packing, and the old clothes stuffed around them. Undertaker shone opened the coffins, and to the consternation of those present, the corpses had not been washed, the coffins were crude, not finished on the inside, and with no lining. Be it said to the credit of Schoen and our citizens generally, that the bodies were taken out, and the blood washed off, and nicely washed and cleaned, and the bodies were nicely dressed in shrouds. Schoen took the coffins and lined them, fixed them in decent shape, and put mountings on them. They were set in the corridors of the courthouse, where, during the after part of the night and Sunday morning, the remains were viewed by hundreds of people from town and the surrounding country. The mother was in a delicate condition, and in the natural course of events would have been confined in a couple of months. Nellie Meeks told her story once again at the coroner's inquest. The coroner's jury gave a verdict that the Meeks had met death by gunshot wounds and blows from blunt-end instruments, and indictments were issued for William P. Taylor and George E. Taylor 
for the murders of the Meeks family. At 9 a.m. Sunday morning, the coffins were placed in wagons and the funeral procession traveled to Butte Cemetery. The crowd at the funeral was estimated in the thousands. A grave was dug 10 feet wide and all the Meeks family were buried together in one grave. As the Meeks were laid to rest, 500 men organized from surrounding counties were in pursuit of the Taylors. And on June 26, 1894, the brothers were arrested at the Gleason Hotel in Batesville, Arkansas, and taken back to Missouri. Though the wealthy brothers offered a bond of $50,000 each, roughly $1.5 million today, bail was refused. On March 18, 1895, the trial began. But as the prisoners were being transported, the train had to be diverted to St. Joe. Sheriff Barton had received word of a lynch mob, a determined-looking set of some 250 armed men carrying Winchesters, faces covered with handkerchiefs, were waiting for the brothers in Brookfield. One man said, quote, We would have taken the tailors at all hazards. Despite this, the tailors arrived to the courthouse to stand trial with their heads held high, confident that they would be acquitted. The tailors were neatly dressed in black. Their black hair and beards were carefully combed. There was no appearance of nervousness, one local reporter wrote. George Taylor, the younger, is exceedingly handsome. His large brown eyes are lustrous, and his cheeks have a ruddy glow of a ripening peach. Both men have an appearance of intelligent businessmen who have dropped in as spectators to the trial. Inside the bar railing, the space was uncomfortably crowded by attorneys in the case, visiting attorneys, court stenographers, members of the local press, and reporters from the St. Louis and Kansas City dailies. Witnesses testified to hearing the Taylors threaten Gus Meeks, and Meeks's mother, who lived with the family, told of her fears that the Taylors would murder her son to keep him from testifying against them. Others testified that they heard the gunshots that night and saw the Taylor's wagon. Though the evidence was circumstantial, there was plenty of it, and few doubted the defendant's guilt. But after two days of deliberation, the jury reported that they were deadlocked at 7-5 to five for conviction. One juror and an alternate later reported that they had each been offered bribes of $750, nearly $22,000 today, to vote for their acquittal. A second trial began in July of 1895. This time, the prosecution decided to change their approach. They would charge the Taylor brothers with just one count of first-degree murder. 
it was obvious that the murder of Gus Meeks was premeditated. The Taylor brothers wanted to keep him from testifying, but it would be more difficult to prove premeditation in the murders of his wife and their children. Though Nellie Meeks did not testify at either trial, she did attend them. During the proceedings, she was the ward of prosecuting attorney Pierce and his wife, and would occasionally climb into Prosecutor Pierce's lap during the trial. Nellie's grandmother, Gus's mother, 65-year-old Mrs. Martha Meeks, testified that the Taylors visited the house frequently. Mrs. Meeks said that George Taylor had come to the house the night after Gus had returned from the penitentiary and asked Gus to come outside because William was there to see him. Mrs. Meeks said that she always feared that the Taylors would murder Gus and his family and kill her too. She told Gus not to go out, and he didn't. But George kept insisting. When Gus still refused, William came inside and offered Gus the $1,000 to leave town. Mrs. Meeks said that she overheard the conversation from another room. On May 10, 1894, she said, Gus received a letter written on letterhead from the People's Exchange Bank of Browning, where William Taylor worked. The letter read, Be ready at 10 o'clock. Everything is right. Mrs. Meeks told the jury that she tried to persuade her son not to go, fearing that he and his family would be killed. That night, the wagon arrived, and George Taylor came in and helped Gus carry out the family's luggage. As Gus left, he told his mother that William was outside waiting, and she said that she did not see him. On cross-examination, the defense attempted to suggest that Mrs. Meeks didn't know the Taylor brothers very well. She pointed to each of the brothers and identified them. The letter, Be Ready at 10 O'Clock, Everything is Right, was submitted as evidence and the handwriting was confirmed as that of William Taylor. On August 2, 1895, a second jury went to deliberate. An hour and a half later, they returned with their verdict. Guilty. The Taylor brothers appealed to the Missouri Supreme Court, but the verdict was upheld. George and William Taylor were sentenced to hang, and their execution date was set for April 30, 1896. But the Taylors still refused to accept their fate. On April 11, 1896, the Taylor brothers escaped. They knocked a bar out of their cell, made their way to the roof of the jail, used a 50-foot hose to climb down, and made a run for it. William was quickly captured, but George got away. At 11 a.m. 
On Thursday, April 30th, 1896, William Taylor was hanged before a crowd of hundreds. Witnesses said that he was cool and did not show a tremor. He left behind the following written statement. To the public, I have only this additional statement to make. I ought not to suffer as I am compelled to do. Prejudice and perjury convicted me. By this conviction, my wife is left a lonely widow, my babies are made orphans in a cruel world, my brothers mourn and friends weep. You hasten my gray-haired mother and father to the grave. The mobs and that element have haunted me to the grave. I had hoped to live at least till the good people realize the injustice done me, but it cannot be so. I feel prepared to meet my God, and now wing my way to the great unknown, where I believe everyone is properly judged. I hope my friends will meet me all in heaven. I believe I am going there. Goodbye all. Nellie Meeks went to live with her grandmother. The scar on her forehead never faded. She married Albert Spray, and in 1910, died, aged 22, due to complications after giving birth to her daughter, who she named Hattie, after her little sister. George Taylor was never captured. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.